Welcome new community to our Sunday video service. We're so glad that you're here. Would you please join me with a call to worship? The words of Abraham Heschel state, when faith is completely replaced by creed, worship by discipline, love by habit, when the crisis of today is ignored because of the splendor of the past, when faith becomes an heirloom rather than a living fountain, when religion speaks only in the name of authority rather than with a voice of compassion, its message becomes meaningless. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we know without faith it is impossible to please you. So do not permit us to replace our faith with creed, our delight with duty, our fervor with obligation. May love and compassion compel us rather than religious authority. May we not stagnate in ritual, but proceed into the future with dangerous wonder. We follow you with faith, our ever faithful Father. Amen. Good morning, new community. We are the Migliazos, and we will be doing the scripture reading this morning. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart.
and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. Hey everyone, that was Avi reading our Bible verse, and this is Mickey Mouse. Oh boy, oh boy. Hi everybody, it's our good friend Mickey, Mickey Mouse, and... And Maui. Miigwee, Miigwee. What does it mean to love the orphan and the fatherless? It means caring for those who can't care for themselves, loving those who have suffered and are suffering. Being a friend who sees through the circumstances and behavior to see the hurt human and doing something about it because love does. Here's how you can love someone who feels alone. Smile at someone who's lonely. Wave to say hello. Be a friend to the kid who is alone and left out because we all know what it's like to feel left out. It doesn't feel good. So we see a need to love and we love. Another way to love is through listening and understanding. Understanding someone's suffering, someone's hurt, someone's story is the greatest gift that you can give another person. Understanding is love's other name. If you don't understand, you can't love. This means we all have a story. Our stories are full of light, dark, hope, and hurt. Standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves is love because love does. In John chapter 6, verse 32, it says, It's easy to love the people that love you. Even people that don't believe in God do that. If you do good for those who do good for you, what credit is that to you? Even people who don't believe in God do that. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And give to them without expecting anything in return. That's love. Loving someone without expecting anything in return. Because in my experience, hurt people hurt people. So they might reject your love. And that will hurt you. But just keep loving. Trust me. I'm 39 I'm old. Keep loving because love wins. I wrote a story for you. Can I read it? Oh, good. There once was a kid who was hurt. He played alone in the dirt. No one came by. No one said hi. This boy was so hurt in the dirt. Then one day, Felicity Ray came by this boy in the dirt. She offered a smile. She sat down for a while to learn why this boy was so hurt. The next thing you knew, this boy was not blue. He beamed with love and delight. Laughs shuffled in to this dirty playpen. Exclamations of hope took flight. His name was Tommy. No one took time to learn. Hi, my name's Tommy. This love was something he didn't have to earn.
On this day, Felicity Ray changed the world, and so can you. Mark this day as the day you say, small and big love wins. Woohoo! <laughs> love is who you are, new community. It feels good to do good because that's who you are. When people are hurt, listen. When you feel that push to love, love. That's who you are. Be a friend and remember, you've always got a friend in me. When the road is rough ahead and you're miles and miles from a nice warm bed, you just remember what your old past said. And you got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. We love you, new community. Good morning, Newcom. Nice to be here with you all this morning. Uh, one thing I've loved about this community during this season is your grit. Primarily your perseverance and grace throughout the season. So let's take some time and greet one another in the chat bar and maybe say one thing you also love about this community. As far as announcements, we've really enjoyed gathering with you online through these video services, and we look forward to doing Advent together. 
Advent will start November 29th. Um, we will have video services the 6th, 20th, and 24th. So be sure you signed up for In the Loop for other ways to engage during the Advent season. Throughout the year, we also take the time to go over our finances with the entire community because we value transparency and always want to keep you in loop of how your money is being used to advance the kingdom. So without further ado, here's KPL, AKA Snake Pit, AKA Cuddles, AKA Boulder Shoulders, AKA Old Gunslinger, AKA K-Love, Newcom's one and only Kevin Paul Longmire. Uh, thank you, Britt, for that incredibly meaningful and what I will say is a really uh, honest and truthful intro. Uh, so a few times a year, we take uh, a few moments as a family and we talk about our church finances. And today is one of those days and I get the privilege of being able to talk about that. So before we turn to the numbers that we're going to look at today, let me start by exclaiming how incredibly thankful we are for God's continued provision in this place and the unbelievable partnership that we have with our people here, with our family who um, has faithfully and uh, in a incredibly committed fashion continued to give to this place, especially considering what 2020 has brought, which has been a very, very different, a very strange year for us. So to look at the financials today, we're going to do something a little bit different. If you've ever been to a doctor's office, which I'm sure most of us have, you have inevitably seen a Sports Illustrated magazine. In the Sports Illustrated, you turn two to three pages in and there is something, it's a quarter column, uh, usually I believe on the left-hand side of the page, and it's called By the Numbers. By the Numbers is a probably five to six different random numbers that are big and bolden. And each of those numbers then has a little description. Each of those numbers that they put in the magazine for that week is a stat that makes you think or a number that gives you pause. Something that happened in the world of sports from the week before that is just amazing and has to be given credit and has to be seen. This is my favorite part of a Sports Illustrated magazine. Whenever I'm in a doctor's office, it's the first place I turn to because I love stats. I love this kind of stuff. So we thought this morning, maybe we would do a new com by the numbers. Important numbers are going to flash on the slides here in a moment, and then my voice will be over them and they'll give a little bit of context as to what these numbers mean. And the hope is, is that what we see in the following minutes give context to our financial health as a church. They remind us again of God's continued provision in this place, and they hopefully create a little bit of space for further conversation and potential action. So let's turn to our first slide. As a reminder, we set out in January of 2020 with a stretch budget of $466,200. We believed we were poised for a strong year, imagining community engagement, gathered ministry opportunities, and connective and relational discipleship. Needless to say, as I've already mentioned, 2020 has played out very differently than we thought. So as we continue to talk this morning, the numbers that I will now reference will be the real numbers as of September 30th. So in the slide that you're looking at, 
with the budget we ratified in January, January 2020, the number in parentheses, 349,650, would have been our expected revenue by the end of September. $303,182 is our real revenue in the first nine months. This includes all ties and offerings and rents received. Again, in the parentheses, 22,185 is the rent that we've received from our building partners. <clears throat> now, for those that are not able to do the quick math, I did it for you. That is a difference of $46,468 between what our budgeted revenue uh, was and our actual revenue as of September 30th. Although this is significant amount of money, this is not shocking considering the wreckage of COVID-19. Not only have we been, been unable to gather as a church family in our regular way, but the loss of income and financial instability that many of our people have experienced has undoubtedly affect Newcomb's current financial position. For a frame of reference, in the same period last year, January through September, we received almost $42,000 more in giving. And of even greater concern to us than the loss of revenue this year is the decline which we have seen in our giving units over the last year. Now, let me pause here for a moment and remind people that giving units is a really gross church name for people that give. So a giving unit is a last name of a family or an individual that gives over the course of the year. We call you giving units. I apologize about that. In 2018, we had 164 giving units. In 2019, we had 159. And in 2020, for the first nine months, uh, nine months, we have 127 giving units. Obviously a trend that is concerning to us. We know people in our church have seen a decrease in income and worse yet, some have lost their jobs. And we want those who are living in this world to know right now, you are still very much a part of this family. Now, are these numbers a cause for alarm? Maybe, but there is nothing we can do to stop the wreckage of COVID-19. So rather, I would argue that these numbers should be noted and watched with diligence, which they are, and in some ways could even be seen as an opportunity. An opportunity because we know unequivocally that there are more than 127, frankly, more than 164 people or giving units in our church congregation that have the capacity to give. If you are a follower of Christ and yet you do not give of your financial resources, this is something that you should examine. The mandate for generosity is undeniable for the life of discipleship. I don't say this to be heavy handed with just a simple desire to secure more funds for Newcom, but rather as one of the pastors of this church whose job it is to challenge and encourage others towards a faithful life of discipleship. Giving is a call placed on everyone that has decided to trust Christ with their lives. We are not anticipating a significant church growth year in this time. However, it is possible for individuals to see significant growth in their lives as they take the first or maybe more significant steps in their own journeys of discipleship. Now, back to the numbers. When it became clear that our year was gonna be very different than how we had planned, we were able to pivot as an organization. And although we already run a very lean operation, we have been able to reduce our spending. 306,974 is our current to date expenses. 
This includes staffing, our building mortgage, insurance, utilities, janitorial, and ministry expenses, everything that it takes to operate new community on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. It also includes $26,975 that we have allocated toward mission outreach, both locally and globally, and in some circumstances have already been able to give this year. In fact, in a podcast earlier uh, this summer, we detailed out some of the ways that Newcom has resourced other NGOs in the city doing work with at-risk populations. This is an ongoing conversation amongst our staff and elders as to how we allocate these mission funds. This means we have been a- un- we have been able to underspend our budget by almost $20,000. This is largely a function of the limited scope of in-person services and ministry expenses that we've had over the last eight months. As a staff, we are very aware of the money that has been entrusted to Newcom and work diligently to steward it to the best of our ability. So when it's all said and done, the difference between money that has come in and money that has gone out is $3,798. Considering the year we have had to be about at a 1% gap between our revenue and expenses is quite remarkable. And we are again, incredibly thankful for God's continued provision in this place. Now, there are a few other places to celebrate as well. As a reminder, we received the federal government's PPP loan in May for just over $49,000. At this point, the money we believe will be fully forgivable for the fact that we can show it was exclusively spent on payroll costs, mortgage, and utilities. Additionally, the church admin team was able to secure a $10,000 grant in September. This money was awarded to businesses and NGOs in Spokane that have experienced decreased revenue during COVID. In our case, we've earmarked this money specific to the technology expenses that we've had to update staff computers and our AV equipment given our new course adjustment to podcast and video services. In fact, right now we are sitting in our new makeshift recording studio. One last thing to celebrate, we hired Joseph Peterson in October in the role of formations pastor. His focus will be primarily Newcom youth and connecting our church with different local mission, missional works in our city. He's been an absolute joy to have on the staff and we are confident he will bring great things to these roles. You might be thinking this is a very strange time to hire someone and yes, that is a correct line of thought. But if you look at the next slide, it costs us $0 and zero cents to hire Joseph. As a reminder, we had already been actively staffing a youth director position and with the additional funds available in our youth pastor account that our community so so generously funded two and a half years ago, we were able to bring Joseph on in his current role without an increase in our planned expenses. And all of this brings me to my final slide, all. This is what it takes. New community has always existed on the generosity and faithfulness of its community. We don't have a couple of high rollers that underwrite our budget, rather a really committed core group of people that continue to give. I understand this has been an incredibly challenging year for some, but for others, this year has been more about inconvenience than a loss of work and wages. We're inviting the community to continue to give. We are in a unique season where the active ministry of the church is more difficult to see. When we are unable to gather weekly and hear the stories of ministry in our conversations with others, it can feel like not much is happening. But let me assure you, Newcom is alive. 
Newcom is moving. The Church Global continues to be the greatest witness and greatest agent of change in our world, and Newcom is poised as a witness and agent of change in our city here on 3rd and Howard. For those that have faithfully given, we thank you. For those that never have, if you are compelled by the ministry of Newcom, then we invite you to partner with us in it. Let me close by offering to further discuss any of these numbers or ways to get involved. We highly value organizational transparency and financial clarity, so no questions are off limits. If you want, we can discuss these things, reach out, and I will meet you for a cup of coffee over a Zoom, and I'll answer any questions that you might have. But now, without further ado, let us turn to the message for this morning. Oh, new community, welcome to our Sunday morning service. We are glad you are here. We are excited to be here as well. It's a little different format today, which we'll get into in just a second. But before we start, uh, Russ has a couple announcements for us. Yeah, we wanted to just uh, give you an update on some upcoming opportunities. First and foremost, we are quickly approaching Advent. We will be um, passing out Advent calendars, an opportunity for you to engage each day in a different practice, all in preparation for uh, Christmas and the new year. Then as we shift into the new year, not only are we going to continue with uh, video casts like this and podcasts, we are going to begin uh, offering some shorts, opportunities for spiritual formation, uh, chances for us to collectively gather either, either at the building or in other locations uh, to engage in, in person but to engage with different topics. For example, Emotionally Healthy Women will be a particular topic we'll cover, uh, as well as uh, an opportunity as we move into Lent to do a Lenten pathway in preparation for Easter. So a lot of opportunities coming, getting excited about that. Yeah. So this morning, like Julie said, it's a little bit different, right? Uh, we have our protective barriers up here uh, so that we are safe. Um, also, all three of us are sitting here we are going to turn our attention to Zechariah, which is the 11th of our 12 minor prophets. So we're kind of nearing the end of the series. And why this morning is different is we have not necessarily prepared anything for the three of us. Rather, we wanted and have frankly wanted to do something like this. We wanted this to do this for years. For a number of years yeah. where we all study a passage individually and then sit down at a table and actually have a conversation about it, uh, a non-scripted conversation. So we've all gone through and read and done what we would maybe typically do as we prepare for a message. Um, but now we're sitting here as a group of three people that are going to have a conversation trying to uh, capture what it looks like for our staff when we actually prepare a typical message. How this usually happens is we would sit down at a table and one of us would be speaking and we would ask the question, what do we think the community needs to hear? How should I frame this message? And then we gather input and ideas from each other. And then that individual goes and kind of crafts that message for the weekend. So this is a little bit of a uh, pull the curtain back behind the scenes. This is the flow or the uh, kind of outworking process of how we would actually plan a message based on our 11th minor prophet. Yeah. So we don't uh, know how this is going to go. We don't. We've never tried it. it. No. Could be great. And yeah. we may never do another one because <laughs> it's terrible. Know. And that's fine because you, you try things, right? Yeah. Shots on goal. You see what works. <laughs> exactly. Maybe this is great. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Uh, 
I'll start this way. Well, I was going to throw a little curveball in. But this is non-scripted, so I'll start. Okay. okay. Are we going to arm wrestle over this? <laughs> uh, I'd arm wrestle you. Sure. Yeah, I know yeah. you would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, here. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. It's only the we three of us in good. the room, but I was just told that I'm not. I, I don't know. Here, this way. I speak through the mic, right, Joseph? Is that better? That's cool. Better. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, let me just say this one thing, okay. and then I'll turn it over to you. Okay. When we first were looking at this book, I think the sentiment was, ooh, I'm not sure this one lends itself all that well to this type of message, right? The three sure. of us talking about it. And we even said, maybe this isn't the appropriate book for the time period, the kind of current situation that we're in right now. Right. I will say the more that I've studied, the more that I've read, it actually seems like it might be, again, kind of perfect in a, in the way that a lot of these books have lined up and uh, I think really been a um, a good fit for the season that we're in. Oh, absolutely. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, but I'll uh, turn it over to you, Russ. Well, I was going to throw a curveball in just at the beginning because I didn't know how well we would begin to just dialogue. So I figured I would toss out a question okay. that would get us going. Uh, not necessarily about like the book. Like an icebreaker of yeah, sorts. Yeah, but not sure. necessarily about the book. <laughs> Um, but if you could tell the community any one thing before we start, what would you say? A reminder, word of encouragement, mm. word of wisdom, something that would, you know, challenge and encourage the community. What would you say? And then that might get us talking and then we can jump into the sure. book. Not it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be okay. about Zechariah, just in general. And if you need time to think, I can go first. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you start? We defer to you, you our, <laughs> lead, <laughs> our lead pastor. <laughs> yeah. As I love jokes. <laughs> I know. All right. So uh, here's what I would say. Typically, this time of season, uh, the holidays moving from Thanksgiving into Christmas, uh, the weather starts to turn. Um, time changes happened. It's dark. We move inside. We also know that Health-wise, the virus is continuing to increase rather than decrease. Um, and I would say this, the number of people recently that have begun to reach out uh, has increased. And I would say if you hesitate, don't. Hes mm -hmm. Don't hesitate. Reach out. Touch base with a small group leader. Uh, touch base with one of us. It's okay to meet with a therapist. Do something. Uh, don't go into this season of... Uh, for some, seasonal affective disorder, um, sad, depression, um, don't don't go alone. Go with someone. Yeah. And uh, if if we can be a support <clears throat> during this time and encouragement, um, please don't hesitate. So yeah. Uh, so I totally agree. I think that's a great uh, place of encouragement. I think uh, what I would say, and maybe we will get into some of this. Um, today as we talk about uh, this book, but um, uh, not to be cliche uh, and not to uh, make a joke about this, but kind of that, that phrase, what a time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> 2020 has been very strange. We've said it a thousand times. Mm -hmm. I think there may be no better opportunity to be the witness of Christ in our city and our families and our friends and our communities than right now. And after reading this, I was not only challenged by that, but I was then kind of had this encouragement of, man, what a, 
what a cool time to be a follower of Christ and what a unique time where we can have real tangible impact when I think people around us need something right Mm -hmm. now and they need hope and they need love and we are poised to be those people. So that would be my encouragement, I would say. It's good. Julie? I think I would just say, um, just take a breath and pause for a little Mm -hmm. bit. Because I know in my own life, I start to wonder like, oh, I've got to, what should I do? Should I do this? Uh, do I wear a mask? Do I go to this? Do I, I mean, there's always like this, what are the numbers doing yeah, or sure. um, what's happening at work? And so just, I think it's okay just to pause and take a breath and take a night off of thinking about everything and just mm-hmm. be for a little bit. Yeah. This, uh, this time can definitely be anxiety inducing. Yeah. Um, and so pausing is a, is a great reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks for the curveball, Russ. Yeah, sure. All right, uh, Zachariah, where where are we at? What are we well, thinking? Even what you were saying, um, I think at first glance, Zachariah is a book that you read it and you go, oh boy. Yeah, what do I do with this? Okay. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, eight, essentially eight chapters of crazy visions and yep. dreams. Oh, and yep. Yeah. I love that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, because you have no, dreams I all the actually, time. And they're crazy. I was like, this there are other crazy people sense. in the world <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. I have the most vivid dreams. Yeah. And I was like, I get it. I get this is, yeah, I've had that same dream. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But here's what struck me. Um, So I I read through the book in a single sitting because I think that does something different than if you just read it piece by piece. Yeah, sure. And I was struck by how, one, how complex the book is and how different the book is. But actually, it was incredibly filled with hope. Yeah. I mean, I... I, It seemed more so than... The other books from the Minor yeah, Prophets, like yeah. quite a bit more so. Yeah. yeah. And so if, you know, kind of answering the question, what would the community need? I think the community needs to be reminded of um, the challenges we all face in life, right? Mm-hmm. But always tethered to this idea that there is hope. And the hope that um, Zechariah is really talking about is this future hope. Yeah. Not just the present hope in reality, but this future one that I'm sure we'll get into at some point. Yeah. So uh, here's just one question. Uh, Chapter seven, Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord is calling his people to obedience through mercy and kindness, care for the orphan, the widow. And we actually had kind of discussed, maybe we really key in on Mm -hmm. this specific area to talk about. Um, But then it makes this statement in there that um, the people made their hearts diamond hard. Yeah, you're talking chapter seven. Uh, Seven, I think nine, 10, 11, somewhere kind of right in that in that area. Can I read it? Yeah, sure. I put the Bible here, but I'm actually looking at it here. But this makes a lot of sense. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Verse 11, but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by a spirit through the former prophets. So my question with this, and we, I read this and then was reminded of the story of the Exodus mm-hmm. where uh, there's kind of that idea of Pharaoh's heart becoming hardened, yeah. right? <clears throat> what is that, pro- like, how does that process happen? Uh, what does that look like? And is that 
is that God's doing? Is that our doing? And um, I know that there have been seasons in my life where I have felt like, whew, man, I have like a hardened heart right now. I'm mm-hmm. just not, I don't feel loving. I don't feel compassionate. Sure. Um, and then there are seasons where I don't feel that way. So yeah. from your guys' perspective, what is that, what is the scripture actually getting at? And what can we hear from that to try to grow and move through those periods? That's a tough question. Because I think people have been asking that for years, right? Did because yeah. at some one of point, the greatest biblical scholars have been asking <laughs> that, which is part of why you're asking. Sure, it. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah. So I think the reason they asked the question is because if my memory serves me correctly, in the story with Pharaoh, at one point it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Yep. And then at another point it says that God yeah, hardened yeah. Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that part. The fact that it says two things, or the no, fact the that fact it's that God it hardening. Hardened. Yeah, sure. That part I you just, like it when we harden our own <laughs> hearts, <laughs> but not so much yeah, if God hardens them. Yeah, it yeah, just no. doesn't seem in line with who, with the God I know. Yes, for that to be said that way. Yes, right. So, part of what I think is uh, at play is how do we read the Bible and how do we understand what is going on in the story. And I think sometimes what we do is attribute uh, maybe a post, like we're looking back in on something and feeling as if the circumstances create the scenario of either ourselves or God hardening our hearts. On a personal level, I think we begin to harden our hearts when we specifically know what the teaching is Hmm. or what God's desire on something is. And we choose to go the opposite direction. And that can happen with simple things. Um, Like there are times I get a prompting from the spirit to help somebody by the side of the road or to take a meal to someone or whatever. And if I ignore that, I think that's me saying, I'm not interested in doing what the spirit has to say at this moment. But I think there's also times where we know um, what the teaching is of God's word is in the kind of the boundaries or the guidelines he's set up. And we specifically defy them because of our own desire or heart. That's when I think you build up a hard heart. Well, and maybe even the scripture gets that a little bit when it, it calls the people to mercy and kindness, which can be very, very simple acts, but then also caring for the widow and the orphan, mm-hmm. which probably require potentially more action, more resources yeah. in order to do that. More so, sacrifice. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was struck by that same section, uh, but then also if you go from chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, the section we just read, but if you go to chapter 8, uh, verses 16 and 17, it says, uh, there are these things, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So what I, what I found in the middle of the, the book is that there are these very practical, so it's a complex book, but there's these simple reoccurring themes of justice and kindness and truth-telling and um, a bunch of one another kind yeah. of commands. And here's my take. Sometimes I think we read those as arbitrary laws that we uh, have to follow in order to either A, not be punished, or B, to somehow win the favor of God, right? But other times, we could see those same instructions as um, 
a way of flourishing life in a community. So if you want to be in a community that gives life to one another, then if you follow those kind of guidelines or instructions, it creates shalom and kindness and goodness in the community. So what difference do you guys think it makes if we as the readers or people who are understanding a text view those as arbitrary laws that we've got to follow in order to gain favor versus seeing them as instructions for flourishing life and community? Hmm. What difference does it make to see it one as the other in practical life? Uh, I would say that that's actually one of the times where my heart starts to harden is when I look at it as a, a whole list of laws and things that I'm supposed to do. In in order to gain favor, in right? In order yeah. to gain favor, yeah. because yeah. then it has nothing to do with, um, in my eyes, it has nothing to do with the heart of God. So I think when I'm, when I'm looking at this as a way to live in community, I see the heart of God and I mm-hmm. see what, who God is and what God cares about and um, it's always about the least of these and and loving one another. When I look at it as a list, it becomes, I just got to do this. There's no, nothing. <laughs> it's not coming out of my heart. It's not coming out of a good place. It's just doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I then start to feel more of a hardened heart. So I think twofold. One, I, um, I think when I'm in that spot, or I, to answer your question, I think when we look at it, as a list, we miss out on who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me personally, it hardens my heart. Yeah. So you're talking about the intentions, mm-hmm. the reason behind why you do what you do. If the reason and the motivation behind it is for the good of others and for the good of community, then that resonates deeply with what you believe God is calling you to, what he has modeled in the life of Jesus. Yeah. But if it's just this list of do this in order to earn God's favor, then it carries a different motivation. And that actually is soul sapping totally. rather than life-giving. And when it's life-giving and when it's with the right motivation, it I experience the presence of God too in that. It actually usually has less to do with the person that I'm caring for and ends up being me experiencing God in that situation. Yeah. Which is probably why he says, if you've done it for the least of these— You've done, done it, it for, for me, me yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a snowball effect too. So when when I'm trying to earn God's favor, it 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 always it never feels like God's favor is actually on me. It's like I'm striving and striving and striving. Right. And God's it's there's always something that I want additionally. When I actually just begin to live out these things and practice them because it's uh, it's the way to treat other people. It's the way mm-hmm. to interact with those around me. Then you begin to experience. God's presence in the midst of it. And then you, you're like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like I never understood how close the kingdom was until you actually start to practice it and live into it. And then it's, you know, there's like a little bit of mojo behind it, totally. <laughs> if you would, yeah. where you're like, man, I, if I can have, uh, if I can feel God's presence in this way, then this is the way that I want to live my life. Yeah. It, sure. it reminds me, yeah. If we, not to always move to a sports metaphor, I don't want to do that all the time. Yeah. Um, but sports ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do think that um, we talk a lot about goal setting with athletes, right? And uh, what you want to try to accomplish. And it fascinates me how many times we set goals. And if you really break down the motivation of why you want that goal, it's because somehow your identity 
is tethered to that outcome. Yeah. So I want to win the championship because I want the recognition or I want to be an All-American or we, we're sitting with an All-American, yeah. but yeah, I mean, or I want to be at, at two different colleges. <laughs> yeah, I believe or? two different universities. No, Hall no. of Fame at two different colleges, All-American American and one. one. Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, how many, I don't want to get decided. How many Hall of Fames do you have? I think collegiate. I zero Hall of Fames. Yeah. 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 Actually, I have a negative Hall of Fame. <laughs> My college experience. Anyways, right. go ahead. Um, no, it was me going, and we got <laughs> sidetracked a little bit Sorry. with yep. Julie. Um, Starting to sweat. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. Um, but we set these goals that then become tethered to our identity. The, mm -hmm. the, the reason I want to achieve that is because I want to be recognized in such a way. And then when you strip that away and you don't hit that goal, you've lost why you even play the game. Yeah, And I think it's similar in that if your goal is to, you already have the favor of God. And I don't know how many times we have to say that to people, but if you're every well, day- and, and say that to ourselves too. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. if you're every day striving to try to earn that favor so that you have this identity of being loved by God, um, and that gets stripped away because you broke one of the rules on the list or you didn't follow through with something you were trying to do or you overlooked someone that you walked by on the street, we begin then to lose why we're even a part of the family yeah, of God, right? For sure. And our identity gets tethered to the wrong things, seeking approval rather than living into this freedom that God has given to love and be generous with one another and in doing so, love God. Yeah. Yeah. So that stuck out to me in the middle of this like crazy complex book that you have these central reoccurring uh, love one another kinds of themes. Uh, I think I just changed my answer to your first question. Okay, please. Uh, for some reason, like it just, you know how sometimes it just hits more than others. But when you just said, we already have the favor of God, like there, that's what I want to say to us. <laughs> is okay? Yeah. Is that, is like that is such a reminder that we skim over all the time mm -hmm. and we just kind of, yeah, I believe it, I believe it. But if you actually stop to think about that for a second and think, I actually have the favor of God, like that is life-changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I, that just hit me. And the reason I think it's important to say that as a reminder to the community is because I'm— I've been in conversations with people. I also am imagining conversations that people are having where they're saying, I don't feel like during this season of life, I'm accomplishing as much as I was before. Or I feel like I'm always struggling with my kids or yeah. others being around me. Or I feel like um, the things I've been trying to aspire to, I'm not reaching. And we need to not look at it from that lens, mm. but rather from the lens of you're creating the image of God and you are already, God is delighting over you. Like we talked about a couple of prophets ago. Yeah. He's singing songs over you. He's deeply in love with you. And then as you do these things, he's like, well done, yeah. my child. And But we set these goals to say, no, no, I got I to gotta reach more because I'll never be happy. And that's not the way. And he'll say, yeah. well done if I do this. Yes. Versus yeah. the other way around. Which then you're chasing this thing you already have, yeah. right? You're chasing a thing you already have. And that that's so uh, disempowering. And yeah. yeah. So that stood out to me in the middle of the book. Uh, so I'll throw out another question. Um, 
you guys know, I tend to be the uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling kind of guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause it's in there. Philippians. <laughs> it's in, it's, yep. it's biblical. No, so, for sure. um, uh, earlier in chapter eight, as you, uh, as you kind of read, there's, uh, this kind of quick little statement and this is the exiles are now called back into the capital city mm-hmm. of Jerusalem and they're tasked with rebuilding the temple. Right. Uh, and then in eight, nine, it says, thus says, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Um, the encouragement is, um, I am a God of protection over you. Mm-hmm. Let your hands be strong as you work to rebuild the temple. Right? right. We are not rebuilding the temple. There is no temple for us to rebuild. No. However, we are a people that is called to build the kingdom. Yes. So, um, in a climate where we might feel like we are limited in our scope of what we can do, uh, limited in our capacity of what can be done right now. What does building the kingdom for us look like right now? Or what could it look like for maybe some of those who might be listening for ourselves as we're wondering, how do I actually practically build the kingdom right now, uh, kind of in our current context? Uh, The thing that immediately jumped to my mind when you said that is uh, years ago, we gave a talk on the idea that the Jewish people viewed um, their homes as a mini temple, mm-hmm. right? So if you had the temple that you would go to on Sabbath and spend time as a worshiping community, the only way that you could do that on one day of the week is if you embodied it every day of the week. So Deuteronomy 6.4, teach these things, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, Teach these things to your kids as you sit, as you walk, as you ride, as you whatever, right? And uh, they viewed the home as a mini temple, a chance for the entire family to know the ways of Yahweh, to follow in those ways, and to be his children, his people. I think in the very similar way, um, start with those closest to you. If you're building the kingdom of God, it starts with your spouse. It starts with your partner. It starts with... Um, your kids, right? If you have them. And so that's who we invest in deeply. This time might be exactly what God wanted to get everyone back to the family. If you think about life pre-virus, so much is go, 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 do, 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 do. And the thing we hear from people is, man, I just wish I had more time with my family. I wish I could have invested more in my kids when they were growing up. You have that time now. Yeah. Right. So take advantage of that time because it, it starts, the kingdom building starts in the home. And yeah. I think if, um, and if you're single, it, it doesn't mean that there is not that kingdom building. We can talk more into that yeah. uh, right now, but I think you start with the home. Yeah. I, uh, as you were saying that I, that was actually one of my prayers last November was that I'd have more time with my family and just be present with my kids and, so it's your fault. Yes, I just got blamed for the virus. <laughs> is what just Whoa. Okay. My apologies. Six people just turned off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, Julie, oh. I'll I'll put you on the spot. Yeah. Uh, not because of who you are, but because of the age of your kids. So your kids are high school, middle school, upper elementary school. They are in a very, or I'll say they were in a very busy stage. Lots of activities. Um, all those things are put on hold. 
um, so how do you evaluate if we kind of go off of Russ's um, idea that maybe our time to build the kingdom starts with our family, those closest to us? Um, how have you seen that play out in your life right now? And what do you anticipate if and when we go to phase three or four, whatever that looks like, and life kind of maybe resumes back to the potentiality of the normal pace or the pace we were um, more familiar with? Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, that's a question that we've been asking this entire time. Mm-hmm. And actually, my husband Brad and I were just talking about that. Brad, my husband. Yep. I don't know if you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I'd love to meet him sometime. Yeah, he sounds awesome. I think you'd like him. Yeah, cool. Um, we were just talking about how when this time is over, we will probably all come out of this as different people yeah. in a lot of ways. And I actually hope that in in this conversation specifically, because what I've noticed is that our slower pace has just allowed for more time to just be present. Yeah. And in a sense, I mean, we can relate it back to what you were saying about mm-hmm. that's where the kingdom starts is I feel like I'm, I've been, I've had the space to recognize things in my own life. Um, and then also in the life of our family of like, Hey, maybe this isn't a strength of ours. Maybe this is something we need to work on. Just, uh, I mean, and it comes out in simple things like making dinner. To, we're all there. Yeah. <laughs> so making dinner together rather or, than shuttling kids to yes, a practice totally. and having somebody make dinner and then somebody has got to take it to go. It's like, you guys are all there actually doing it together. Yeah. Totally. Um, and it's not even that those things were bad things that we were doing before. Yeah. Um, and some of them we'll go back to, and some sure. of them we've realized oh, that just was something I was doing just to do. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think we will seek to have a slower pace. And it has reminded me about, uh, I was talking with somebody, Jeff Reinhardt yeah. quite a while ago, and he was talking about one of the things that was really great about, or maybe he mentioned this at the marriage retreat, that one of the things that was so great is that his kids weren't in a million sports and activities. Oh, right. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, yeah, but they're so good for the <laughs> things. And then I'm like, oh, I, I get this. Yeah. Like, you can see the other side. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I don't um, actually remember what your specific question was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did it was I a wandering answer, <laughs> and I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> you hit you hit the target. Yeah, okay. presence. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you were saying you have the ability to be more present with one another. Totally, yeah. and and recognizing the beauty in that mm-hmm. too has been really great. So I think uh, I totally agree. We've had a similar mm-hmm. experience. Our kids probably have not been as involved in sports and extracurriculars as maybe your girls have been. Um, one of the th- one of the jumps that I feel like has been a challenge for me to figure out and has been something that I've really needed to kind of step into is presence is really good. Mm-hmm. What you do with presence, I think, is also important. Yes. And yeah. so just yeah. making dinner together, awesome family mm-hmm. thing to do together. But if we're just together a lot, but we're actually never really totally. talking about yeah. important things yeah. and I'm not actually actively working to disciple my kids, but rather just spend time in the house together, then I, I will think, or I do think I'll look back on this time and say, man, I, I missed a really cool opportunity where we were a little bit uh, more contained in what uh, we could do. And I didn't quite lean in to um, my call as a dad, as a husband to be a discipler of people in that way. And so I think for me, that's that's something where I hear that idea of presence and then say, okay, presence is good. I want to capitalize on that, but I want to capitalize it in a, in a right way. You know, uh, Jumping off what you said, um, Shannon has articulated to me that she feels because there's less, you know, activities all over the place, that it has mm-hmm. freed some, she uses the term headspace. Yeah. 
um, to allow her to not feel like what's coming next? What do I have to have ready? Who's going where? Totally. Yeah. And it has allowed her to be more focused during those times together to say, unpack that for me. Yeah. And enter into more of a conversation that really can lead toward disciple opportunities, really. So that's been uh, great on that part. The other thing I think it's freed up um, is because the schedule is different, like Shannon was able to, you know, one day this last week, go and volunteer for a nonprofit that she's been wanting to volunteer for, for a long time. And she, every now and then had time to do it, but she was able to dedicate a significant part of one day to do that and just loved it. Came back with this energy, this excitement. So I think another way we can take advantage of building the kingdom is there are moments where you have in your schedule freedom to say, this is a passion of mine. I'd like to give time and investment and energy toward it. And then you can actually have the time to do it. That I, so I don't want to bring this back to parenting over, I actually don't like it when we just talk about parenting yeah. because not everybody in our community is a parent and that's totally fine. Um, but I'm going to, you know, I was actually really convicted over the last little bit because at New Community, we always talk about that the parents are the primary disciplers. That's like mm-hmm. one of our core values, especially in kids community and mm-hmm. youth and all that stuff. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden when all of the methods for youth group and all these activities yeah. to be stripped away. I'm like, oh, that, oh, yeah, I am no, the yeah, I am the prim- yeah, like totally. it, it has been something that I've been thinking about in the last little bit. Like yeah. what, what does that mean? And how does that look? Whether we have things going on or not, how am I mm-hmm. the primary discipler and Brad is the primary discipler? And yeah, so that's what I've been convicted of is being in those present moments. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah. Not that you intended to bring this up, but I think right before we jumped into the prophet series, we did a whole series on this idea of have you been abdicating your responsibility as a follower of Jesus and giving it to someone else? And not that you haven't been discipling your kids, but But it is easy. Yeah, Yeah, but maybe examine that, Is that what this whole thing is actually? Yeah, yeah. That's why we put you in the middle so we could just like talk at you. I actually don't love this part. Yeah. Uh, but it is easy to say, well, I think the youth group can take care of that. Yeah. Or I think, you know, um, kids com could do it or whatever. And it's easy to just kind of pass that on to someone else rather than saying, no, the primary responsibility is mine. And they're a secondary person, individual group leader to assist in the effort uh, is a much healthier perspective. Yeah. And then it's not just with the kids. It's us. Like we do oh, the sure. same thing. As yeah. I. Kevin is my small group leader and and have been for years faithfully for years. leading this small group for years. It's hard, and but it's my not easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but too often I think we can go into small group or Sunday mornings or any of these things and expect to just be discipled ourselves yeah. versus actually taking the responsibility. So I think that has come up. Actually, I've had a lot of conversations with people yeah. about just that over the time of, which I know you were talking about yeah. in the series too. Yeah, but Absolutely. Basically, my spirituality is based or just resting on your shoulders. Oh, wow. It's a heavy burden. It's the burden of leadership, though, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate it. Uh, I have to be, I have to confess something. Okay. You haven't read (laughs) Zachary. Did you watch the video, though? Uh, No, I've been super busy with other stuff. Um, No, I asked the question Mm -hmm. kind of because I wanted to give a little bit of an answer. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, But my answer is going to be really a um, wet the appetite for a story (laughs) that might come in the future. 
my mom, Randy Longmire, God bless her heart. Oh, she mm-hmm. is an She's incredible woman. Uh, the and, best. and I, I'm not joking. Uh, I know sometimes it comes off my <laughs> like sarcasm. Yeah. Right. But I'm not. She, uh, her faith and her practice of her faith mm-hmm. has been a continual encouragement for me for as long as I have been following Jesus. Um, she has kids. I'm one of them. She mm-hmm. has a couple of them. Uh, kids are all out of the house. We're all grown. She's a grandma, but because of age, because of COVID, we just have not been together as much. Mm-hmm. Her practice of building the kingdom in the last uh, eight months has been very, very specific to taking care of an elderly neighbor who is not even currently a neighbor, but was a neighbor before my parents recently moved. And um, the way that she has loved this woman uh, and the story around it, and this is where I'm maybe hoping sometime in the near future, I would actually sit with my mom and kind of talk through this story, has been absolutely profound. And I think points to the idea of um, how kingdom building can happen outside of having kids, right? So a uh, single person, married mm-hmm. person without kids in the home, whoever it is. Yeah. My mom saw a need uh, with a neighbor and has uh, in a really, really radical way stepped into this woman's life and uh, and done kingdom building in some pretty cool ways. And so um, that has been a place for me that I have looked at over the course of the eight months and said, man, that's somebody who gets it. Like yeah. that's somebody who has really leaned into this idea. Again, I hope to share the story yeah, uh, more fully awesome. sometime in the future. But that was, uh, I read this and immediately thought of that's, that is what this looks like in our current world right now. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about that. Did she go and seek out that ministry opportunity or did it find her? Russ, have I told you the story? No. It, <laughs> sounds like maybe you know the answer. No. Well, I, th- I think what I'm trying to point out is yeah. a lot of what we struggle with is placing this expectation. Again, I think it's a religious expectation that's been placed on us that I have to go find this unique ministry thing. I have to go somewhere else to do it. It's got to be me going to people. Um, And rather, I think God brings the opportunities to you. I don't think you have to really go looking for them. Now, are there times that you're called to a particular thing and it's away from a group of people or you feel a burden for something, absolutely, and you should follow that. But the rest of the time, I actually think God brings those opportunities and you just meet the need in front of you. Yeah, And I think that's what your mom's doing with a neighbor. I know that that's what other people are doing with somebody close to them or somebody that they ran into on the way to work or whatever. Um, We just don't need the pressure of saying, oh, I've got to do something amazing to build the kingdom. You just have to do the next right thing. Yeah. Uh, It's her story to share for sure. But uh, it started back in February, March, when it was pretty clear that things were going to change. It started with a simple prayer of my mom saying, God, show me how I can be active in Mm. this time because I can't really have people in my home. Uh, You know, I have limitations. So show me how I do your ministry in this time. And uh, then the story unfolds from there. Man. But, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think to add on to that, God brings it to you. And then kind of our role is to have open eyes. And yeah. when those things are placed in our laps to say, okay, you know, game right. on, here we go. I know somebody's going to email or call or text and say, I don't feel like God has brought one of those. Yep. So I would say, 
do what your mom did. Yeah. And ask. Just ask. Yeah. Just it's ask. It's kind of hard to ignore when you ask. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. That, yeah. 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 It sets you. Yeah. God, God is going God to, answer. wants to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Wants to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that, again, is part of not hardening your heart, which we mm-hmm. talked about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you point at me for that part? Not hardening your heart? Because you, you talked about how you were hardening your heart. How oh. you love hardening hearts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, just so everybody knows, yeah. we're typically uh, don't uh, poke fun of Julie this oh, much in a no, regular staff. No, no, I mean, no. This, this is, is actually really yeah. great. I'm actually really glad. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this, this is, is not how it usually is. Yeah, this is very mild yeah. <laughs> compared to how it usually is. <laughs> we're controlling ourselves. Yeah. It's really hard to be me. So here's a thing that struck me as I read through the book. A um, lot of imagery, right? Visions, dreams, uh, a lot of word pictures. Um, and we know that images can transform us, but only if we move beyond like the mere literal specific image to a more universal or always true image. So that it's not like I'm looking for an angel rider to come and rescue me from the deep with two trees nearby. Sure. Like it doesn't, <laughs> that's uh, not what really we're getting after. Yeah, Richard Rohr said something that really captivated me. Um, and he said it in relation to Zechariah 12. And uh, it says, in, the prophet says this, you will weep for him, uh, an allusion to Jesus, as you would weep for your only child, you will mourn for him as if he is every child. Right, So this idea of the crucified Jesus. And Richard Rohr says, I believe that we are invited to gaze upon the image of the crucified to soften our hearts toward God and to know that God's heart has always been softened toward us, even and most especially in our suffering. Hmm. So you have this image of Jesus as the suffering servant, suffering king, suffering priest. And then you have us in the New Testament throughout the Gospels and beyond with Paul uh, focusing on this willing suffering of Jesus and alluding to this idea that he, in solidarity with all of us, has suffered. So I'll read the quote one more time, and I just would love to get your thoughts or feelings about this image. I believe we're invited to gaze upon the image of the crucified to soften our hearts toward God and to know that God's heart has always been softened toward us, even and most especially in our suffering. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that and how it relates maybe to the world in which we currently live? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if we want to track down this, but I the first thing that I think of is atonement theory. Like Mm -hmm. what is the, what is the cross? What does that mean? Um, And (laughs) how we understand that uh, and the act of the crucifixion, uh, Jesus on the cross, how we interpret that, I think um, can affect a lot of different things about Mm -hmm. our practice of faith, our understanding of who God is. And the idea that um, that he says God's heart has always been softened towards us, mm-hmm. to me, kind of speaks to maybe a way that you would understand the act of the crucifixion, mm-hmm. uh, rather than the appeasement of an angry God that a mm-hmm. price had to be paid, penal substitutionary atonement. Sure, maybe we don't want to get into all this <laughs> right now. To. 
But maybe there are different ways to understand mm -hmm. what exactly was happening in that moment. Yeah. And for me, um, kind of on my spiritual journey, that has been like a kind of a linchpin mm -hmm. idea for me of that, what's going on there in that moment and how I kind of grew up to understand that to mm -hmm. maybe now where I'm at currently has completely and in really radical ways changed my understanding of who God is. Yeah. I know we didn't anticipate getting into atonement theory yeah. this morning, um, but I will say this about atonement theory. Um, I think each and every one of the metaphors that is used to describe an act that is indescribable. Cosmic. Yeah. <laughs> something yeah. we'll never fully grasp. Sure. I think we need every one of those metaphors. I don't think there's like a, this is what I used to think and now I think this because I still think there are elements totally. of each of the metaphors <clears throat> that when pushed together create this beautiful picture and yet it still isn't a fully complete picture yeah. and never will be fully complete um, until we get to heaven or may never fully be complete because we will always for eternity be learning more and more about God. Creating new metaphors to try to yes. capture this idea because you, that's what a metaphor is. Yeah. 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 And I, I think there's so much power in these images. And what struck me about that particular image is that Sometimes when you read a book like this or when you read the prophets, you distance yourself from God and you say, how could God look in on this suffering of his people and do nothing? Yeah. Uh, how could God let a virus take this many people's lives? How could God uh, continue to um, create, create or allow pain and destruction and harm to so many people? And I... I'm all I'm struck by this idea that God does not desire that. And instead what he does is he relates to us in our suffering because he himself experienced utter shame and suffering and pain and torment and did that for us so that he might, I think as it's in the Hebrews describes that um, we have a God who's able to mm -hmm. empathize and sympathize with us. Yeah. You know? I was just watching uh, somebody giving a eulogy, and mm -hmm. the person giving the eulogy had, in their own life, lost one of their kids. Mm -hmm. And I was really struck by the depth that that person was able to speak to mm -hmm. the family mm -hmm. and say, to speak to the depth of pain and the depth of their suffering because that person had experienced it yes. to yeah. such a great degree. And I think the same—it just was a really powerful moment of, like, it just— I, I think it um, not just acknowledged and saw their pain, but mm -hmm. also could bring a glimpse of healing of yeah. like, you see me. Um, right. And I think the same is true with Jesus and us. And I think in the suffering, Jesus says, no, I, I see that suffering mm -hmm. that you are going through and I see your pain and I feel mm -hmm. it. And then also we are called to do that to others. Out of our suffering is usually the times that the things that I've struggled with and the things that I have experienced are usually the times that bring the most healing to somebody else's life is yeah. when I can share those things and say, I see you, I get yeah. it. I've experienced that too. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's what that quote made me yeah. think of is this. Yeah, absolutely. There is not a quote that is more classic Richard Rohr than that one. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is like totally. every quote of his right there. I love it. 
Um, I have one other topic, and I know we don't have a lot of time left, yeah. but I have one one other. In fact, I believe we have eight minutes and 11 seconds. Oh. Just kind of off the top of my head, I've been sure. keeping track for Great. sure. Great. Um, but I think you can't read this book and not mention what I think is kind of the central theme of the whole thing. I was reading uh, this book, Glory in Our Midst, the biblical theological reading of Zachariah's Night Visions. and Just a light read for Russ. <laughs> Pick it up in your local Just Amazon. Like <laughs> oh, Some boy. nighttime reading. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was reading it at nighttime. That so, title yes. is the most absurd title for yeah. a book. No, it's great. Yeah. I like it. It really captures the idea. Yeah. Though. yeah. So really, we're only it's only Zechariah 1 through 8, right? Yeah. Right. This this primary section or one through six, the primary section where it's the, the visions, uh, the dreams, as oh, Julie has. Right. Um, and I'm not going to get into all the detail between like Hebrew parallelism and the way that the books, if you watch the video. Yeah, it you, got into a It got it, into yeah. a little bit of that, right? You kind of want to though. I, I do, but yeah. we don't have time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Otherwise, yes, I would love to give a whole nother talk just yes. on uh, the vision in chapter one. Contact us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, vision in chapter one is fascinating. You have this uh, angel rider, the theophany of Jesus. You have symbolism that has to do with um, both Genesis 1 and creation narrative, uh, the flood narrative and how that relates to the creation narrative. But the whole, without getting into all the details, <laughs> the, the point is Zechariah is trying in the first vision to say, we're in a world of hurt. Yeah, There's a lot that isn't going on well. Your forefathers didn't figure it out and you're probably not figuring it out either unless you turn and repent because... The world is broken. You have walked away from me. You've hardened your heart like a diamond. Mm -hmm. All of that language is like, things are not good. And then you have this, like right in the center of the whole book and the kind of culminating um, section of these visions, you have the story of this high priest, and then you have the story of this king. And then you have the crowning of one individual who is both high priest and king. And that has never, ever been happened or happened in the entire Old Testament. There's never been the king and the high priest as one. They've always been two individuals yep. in Israel. And now you have them united. And what's so striking is that all of this is alluding and driving us toward this New Testament reality that there will be this servant who comes. Um, he's described in here as a branch, mm -hmm. and that branch will come and will be both priest and king. And in that moment, I think there's this one, uh, I think it was in chapter 12 when I was reading it, something along those lines. It just says very clearly that in one day, all iniquity between us will be gone. And what an amazing picture. If you have not read through the book, read through it again. Yep. Um, it is an incredible picture that Jesus is both our high priest and our king. And the only way that we could rectify this difficult situation that we're in is to recognize that and live in that reality. Yeah. It was so powerful. Well, in this book, more than any of the other uh, prophets that we've looked at, and you could make the argument even in the Old Testament, 
points to Christ. I mean, it's messianic in its nature. It points to the coming king, the coming priest in really beautiful and profound ways. Yeah, I think the Gospels quote it more than almost any other Old Testament book, especially as it relates to the... um, uh, the crucifixion narrative yeah. in, in that whole passion narrative that's it's all about Zechariah. Yeah. So uh, how do we close a message like this? We've never done this. Mm-mm. None of us prepared a closing. Nope. So <laughs> uh, I guess maybe what we would say is, um, or what we could say is, what what do we do? Yeah, what's this? the takeaway? Yeah, we've talked a lot about this book, uh, different thoughts that we've had. So what would be uh, a few takeaways that we'd say after uh, reading this and studying this? Uh, I uh, I don't have which verse it is right now, but it, when it talks about um, the people were not ready, do you remember that verse in this? Um, when it's talking about like the justice and doing all these I mean, things. That's four words out of a <laughs> you know, fourteen chapters. I'm not sure. I uh, in that. chapter seven, but they refused to pay attention. That part. Yeah. Anyways, classic Russ okay. understands. Here's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I just got nervous. We got to close really quick. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, I found myself in this thinking, I want to be a people who's ready and I want to be a mm. people who is doing justice and um, seeking after the heart of God and doing this and kind of bringing the kingdom here, what you were bringing or what you were talking about when you were bringing the heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like, I just kept thinking, I want to be a people who's mm. ready to do yeah. this and seeking and having my eyes open and seeing what's right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So that's... I think I would go off kind of your uh, how you started about this idea of hope and that God throughout this book continues to be a God that is showing uh, and that is willing to be a, a God of protection over mm-hmm. the people, even yeah. though they have turned, even though... Broken uh, covenant. Yeah, they've broken covenant. Their hearts are hardened. It, it continues to speak of the idea that God will protect them. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, that's a place of hope. And uh, I don't think that that's just true for these people in this time. I think that's true for us, that uh, even when we feel, even when we're going through moments of suffering, even when the world seems chaotic, when our lives seem chaotic, God is a God of protection. Uh, God is a God of presence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I've left reading and studying feeling uh, that like settledness in my spirit of, oh, that's right. That brings me back to this idea that God continues to be a God of protection over us. Yeah. If I was going to wrap it up based on what we've talked about this morning, I would say a couple quick things. One, God is for you. Yeah. He has been. You don't have to earn it. Um, You sit in that space of being loved. That um, his heart has softened toward us, especially in our suffering, whatever it is you're going through right now, the difficulties you're facing, um, Christ is able to sympathize and empathize with you. And that we can build the kingdom of God in our small and little acts. And as we do that, um, we have to recognize that this entire book of Zechariah and then this entire book of the Bible is all pointing to all those things that we just mentioned only being possible because of Jesus. Yep. And rest in that, that he is your high priest and your king. And uh, give praise to him today. Yeah. New community, we love you. We're uh, thankful to be a part of this incredible community. We hope that this has been encouraging for you um, and could potentially be a practice where you read a book, sit down with friends, and just begin to discuss. So uh, without much else to say, we love you. Have a great rest of your Sunday.
Love you, Newcom. Did we do a high five through the... Boom. (laughs) Plexiglass. Oh, this time.